0: Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True
1: North. Coming up, a partisan throne speech, a pandering address to the nation, and how climate alarmists are profiting off of stoking fears of global warming.
0: The Andrew Lawton Show
1: starts right now. Well, our dear leader has come down from the mountaintops and addressed his people. Yes, Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister, made his momentous address to the nation Wednesday night, just a couple of hours after Her Excellency Julie Payette delivered her speech from the throne. And you may ask, why is it that Justin Trudeau actually had to speak and give a, an address to the nation, preempting television programming and all the networks? Why would he need to do that after the throne speech? Well, that's a great question. Yeah, there's no answer to it. It's just a great question. There's no reason. And you know, anyone who was thinking that perhaps this was going to be a transformative moment in Canadian politics, we were going to be addressed on a matter of national urgency, an emergency of sorts, it was absolutely nothing. It wasn't even a sales pitch directly. I guess indirectly it was. No, it was just like telling us what he's been telling us at every one of his press conferences, what Teresa Tam had told us a day earlier. And it wasn't even all that true. He talked about us being in as bad a situation as we were in April. And I'm left wondering what on earth was the point of all of it? What was the point of this?
2: We're on the brink of a fall that could be much worse than the spring. I know this isn't the news that any of us wanted to hear. And we can't change today's numbers or even tomorrow's. Those were already decided by what we did or didn't do two weeks ago. But what we can change is where we are in October and into the winter. It's all too likely we won't be gathering for Thanksgiving, but we still have a shot at Christmas. Together, we have the power to get the second wave under control. I know we can do it because we've already done it once before. In the spring, we all did our part by staying home. And this fall, we have even more tools in the toolbox. People are wearing masks. That's critical, so keep it up. We've got the COVID Alert app. Take the teacher who felt fine, but who tested positive after the app warned her she'd been exposed. COVID Alert meant she went home instead of the classroom. It's a powerful, free tool that's easy to use and protects your privacy. So if you haven't already, download it off the App Store or Google Play. It's one more way to keep ourselves and others safe. Another is to get your flu shot this fall.
1: Yeah, I wonder if Trudeau had just gone the whole day and hadn't reached his platitude quota, so he needed to just take some TV time so that he could start dropping all of these tired old cliches that seem to govern most of the Trudeau administration's messaging. But my goodness, the whole point of the throne speech is that the government lays out its agenda, its plans, its priorities, and you don't need to have the Prime Minister speaking. But he wanted to have the last word. He wanted to be the one that gets to set the tone, and it ended up being just a big old sham. Now, leading up to it, Global News had said that, you know, they had demanded assurances and received assurances from the Prime Minister's office that it wouldn't be a political speech, that they were only going to give up the network's time If it was truly a matter of national importance and the prime minister's office, they said, agreed to that. (laughs) Well, (laughs) the joke's on them. And I don't even fault the networks on here because ultimately they lose money by having to air uh, unadvertised uh, PR programming from the PM or from any politician. They lose out on this. So I I don't actually think, unless the goal is that, you know, once you've tuned in for Trudeau, you'll like, you know, hang in for American Idol or, or whatever's on after. In fact, I'd rather have, you know, Watched anyone on American Idol deliver an address to the nation. But the whole point is that the networks actually lose out by and large. So they're not doing this willy nilly. They're doing it because they're assured that, hey, this is something that matters. This is something important. So Canadians tend to listen to that. Canadians go in thinking that, all right, well, this must be important. If they're telling us we need to stop and drop and watch the television to hear what Trudeau is saying, it must be significant. And then it's absolutely nothing. At one point, uh, someone in media was calling him Prime Minister Dad, and I don't know if that was meant to be a compliment or an insult in that way, but he was just trying to assure Canadians that, you know, we're going to get through this, and, you know, we're all in this together, and we are family, and uh, any other, you know, 80s song that tends to apply. But it was absolutely meaningless, and actually was a mockery of a great many things. There was an address to the nation when we were attacked, In 2014 by a terrorist on Parliament Hill. There was an address to the nation in the midst of a constitutional crisis in 2008. There have been addresses to the nation at many other pivotal and critical points in Canada's history. I have gone a little while without delivering speech. Not an issue of national importance, believe it or not. Overdue for a speech is not a reason for a speech. And it proves, though, that the whole exercise right now has been pretty much an exercise in uselessness and time-wasting. Even the actual throne speech itself was completely unnecessary. This was a throne speech that only came about because Justin Trudeau wanted to prorogue Parliament, not because we genuinely needed what he called a reset, but because he genuinely needed a reset we didn't he did he needed to shut down the we committee he needed to shut down the ethics investigations he needed to do all of that the country actually didn't benefit from this and if you want proof of this just look at the fact that there was not a a single new policy that was really announced in the throne speech there were revised policies or revived policies rather things that have been talked about previously that we kind of forgot about like National Pharmacare, for example, Julie Payette mentioned uh, the Pharmacare plan, and I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot the Liberals have been promising that and have done absolutely nothing on it, which, by the way, I'm okay with, and other things as well. But it did give us a sense of which priorities the government is going to take forward, and the one that really needs to be causing us to be very concerned is this.
3: Web giants are taking Canadians' money while imposing their own priorities. Things must change and will change. The government will act to ensure their revenue is shared more fairly with our creators and media. And will also require them to contribute to the creation, production and distribution of our stories on screen, in lyrics, in music and in writing.
1: Wait, so we're in the midst of a pandemic? We have a deficit that's going to be clearing $350 billion. We have debt that's rising by the minute. We have Canadians that are out of work. We have businesses that are shuttering their doors. You say that the pandemic is priority number one. And your priority in a throne speech includes regulating the internet. That's basically what it is. When they talk about making big social media companies pay, they're talking about regulating the internet. They're talking about forcing these companies, behemoths that they are, into basically paying media companies so that Justin Trudeau can continue to buy the affection of the mainstream media. The $600 million was just one piece of it. Now forcing Facebook, Google, Twitter to subsidize post media, the Toronto Star, the Globe and Mail. That's all par for the course. And interestingly enough, the Toronto Star had written about it without mentioning that they have been lobbying for something along these lines. So very disingenuous. And Jesse Brown, who I I normally don't agree with on a lot of things, but on this issue he's fairly solid, had pointed out this juxtaposition that you read this story And you wouldn't get a sense that anyone is against this idea, that anyone is against this policy. And it really is called into question when you learn that the star itself is specifically pushing this on its administrative side of things. So uh, the fact of the matter is that media companies love this and Facebook can afford it. Twitter can afford it. That's the rationale behind it. But it is a way to subsidize the media, which means that the mainstream media is once again going to have a financial reason to be grateful for the government. Another part of the speech, I won't play the clip because it was just a, a very brief mention, but Julie Payette said that the government is going to be tackling online hate. And this is something we've been covering on the show for months now, because anytime this idea comes up, the government does not define what it means by hate. The government doesn't define what hate looks like. And in many respects, they've actually promised to go after social media companies if they don't get their house in order when it comes to so-called hate, which again is another tool that they're using to crack down on online speech by forcing Facebook, Twitter, and Google to do the dirty work and censor their Canadian users. And these are not new policies, but I bring them up because we've started to see drips and drabs of this over the last few weeks with Stephen Gilbeau and Catherine McKenna really pushing this narrative. And it seems to have been something that we can really draw a line between it and this throne speech in the sense that we're seeing these lawmakers really lay the groundwork for this, that this is going to become a a big priority for the Trudeau government going after online speech, regulating the internet. And whatever you may think of big tech companies, I, I made this point with Candace Malcolm on True North Update on Wednesday, whatever you may think of the big tech companies, None of the problems that exist there are going to get better when the Trudeau government, when the liberal government is breathing down their neck and telling them they have to behave in certain ways and conduct themselves in certain ways. Regulation is never the answer and certainly not when the regulation is coming from a government that does not have a respect for free speech and actually has a fundamental disrespect for free speech. So of all the things that made it into the throne speech, this was one of them. Well, These two actually, making social media companies pay and also tackling online hate. There was also a lengthy section on tackling systemic racism. There was a section on intersectional feminism. And all of this really is speaking to one of the significant problems that we heard in this speech, which was a profound disconnect between what this country actually is and what the Trudeau government is trying to make it. And I was actually quite, I don't want to say the word offended because that's like a hop skip and a jump away from triggered, but I was quite perturbed by the way that this government defines Canadian values. There was one section on Canadian values that I I want to share with you because I feel like there is not a single thing mentioned in here that would actually be to the majority of Canadians a defining characteristic of this country and its values.
3: Canada must continue to stand up for the values that define this country, whether that's welcoming newcomers, celebrating with pride the contributions of LGBTQ communities, or embracing two official languages. There is still work to be done, including on the road of reconciliation and in addressing systemic racism.
1: So just for those keeping score at home, welcoming newcomers, celebrating with pride the contributions of LGBTQ2 communities, embracing two official languages, and then a a nod to reconciliation and systemic racism. Now, welcoming is something that comes about because of Canadian values, rights for minority communities, including the LGBT community. That's, again, part of the Canadian value. But those are all underneath a more significant set of values, which are laid out in the Constitution, the right to life, the right to liberty, the right to security. I mean, we don't list everything that comes under that. We don't say, well, you know, Canadians have as a value the ability of putting milk in their coffee because that's just something you can do as a free citizen. But there wasn't actually a mention Of freedom. There wasn't a mention of liberty, of life, of freedom of speech, of freedom of the press. There wasn't a mention of any of the cornerstone values that actually define this country. Values that, by the way, the conservative government previously was pilloried and maligned for even suggesting existed. So the Liberals have now gone from actually mocking anyone who says that Canadian values exist to laying out their own revisionist values that don't really cut to the core of what Canada is and of what it means to be Canadian. And this revisionism is very dangerous because Justin Trudeau is trying to remake the country in his image. And in many respects, it looks as though he's succeeding at that. Now, the throne speech may or may not pass. We've heard the NDP may or may not support it. Jagmeet Singh says he's not impressed by it, and it's empty words. But we also know that the NDP can be bought, and it's not the end of this. When the speech ended, the work is beginning on haggling and negotiating over it. The Conservatives are voting against it. It sounds like the Bloc Québécois will not be on board. But all Trudeau needs is one party. He just needs one party to go along with it. And then he's off to the races, has another mandate, at least for the time being. Remember, the NDP doesn't have any money although the Conservatives have a leader with COVID who's in quarantine. The Bloc Québécois has a leader in COVID quarantine as well. So it would actually be a pretty great time for Justin Trudeau to go to the polls because his opponents are sidelined by either disease or no money, or both, I guess. So that's going to be something that we keep an eye on. But as of this point, I don't think we're heading to an election. I think it's a possibility, but I wouldn't put... A lot of money. I'd still put the odds against there being an election right now. But I look at this and I see that there is no regard in the Trudeau vision of Canada for liberty, for the rule of law. This is a great one. I mean, the throne speech I said earlier came about because of a desire to shirk the rule of law, to shirk the scrutiny that comes from actually having justice on a matter of unethical behavior from the government. So where do we go from here? I was more astonished by the things that weren't in the speech than the things that were. Because the things that were were actually pretty meaningless. I said earlier, re-announcing previous policies, saying the same things we've heard time and time again, the platitudes of, you know, the middle class and those seeking to join it and all that nonsense. But what wasn't in it was any call for national unity. There was no nod to the West. There was no acknowledgement of the particular struggles and trials that right now are facing people in Alberta and Saskatchewan particularly. There was no desire to bolster the Canadian energy sector. In fact, many people would say it was the opposite when we hear buzzwords like build back better or something like that. So that's where we are now. No support for the West, which again, may not be all that surprising, but At least it would show that he was wanting to go through the motions. Actually, I don't know now. I don't know if it's better to have someone who's like pretending they care about the West or just someone who's owning the fact that they do not care. Couldn't even point to the West on a map, let alone identify any of the key issues facing the West. I guess probably the second one is a bit better because at least it's a bit more authentic. But it reminds us that we're in a place right now where there isn't really a, a desire to keep the country together. There isn't really a desire or a goal to keep all of the different disparate factions of the country that are growing further and further apart to keep them aligned and keep them on the same team, so to speak. So we also see in this... A misguided set of priorities where it's more interesting to the Liberals to go after the airy-fairy, pie-in-the-sky pipe dreams than it is to deal with the real nitty-gritty issues that are facing Canada and Canadians. And if he wants to make the pandemic job one, fine. But he's not even doing that. He says he's going to, but he's not doing it. He's instead reminding everyone about the two billion trees, which I remind you, not a single one has been planted. He's uh, revising all of these uh, Canadian values. And China, the greatest geopolitical threat facing Canada right now as far as economic dominance, security dominance, as far as the origins of the coronavirus, and not a single reference to the word China. He did mention uh, the two Michaels, Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor, but that was a, a passing mention and again has not been accompanied as we've seen by any real action. not a single mention of China. And this was a notoriously long speech, incidentally, 17 pages, and not a single mention, despite being longer than most prior throne speeches, of a lot of the issues. And the whole thing is, if you're going to go with a long speech, you at least better be covering things that people care about. And I didn't hear a lot of that. So we have Trudeau that has the throne speech, then plus has his own speech on top of that in prime time. And still the questions the Canadians are asking have not been answered, which is how are we going to get through this? And when we talk about the West, I was actually very interested in hearing the response to this from Jason Kenney. And Jason Kenney actually did this morning a responding press conference. And here's what he had to say on the subject of whether the throne speech was really doing anything for the West. Good morning, Premier. You mentioned earlier on that your disagreements with this throne speech aren't just political, that you think there's been an assault on federalism and a, a number of unconstitutional policies that have been championed. My question is if the Prime Minister and the government proceed as announced in the throne speech yesterday, are there future lawsuits against them that you can anticipate based on the policies that they've proposed that you think are not constitutional?
0: Absolutely, undoubtedly. Uh, we'll be at the Alberta Appeal Court uh, next month uh, to, for uh, oral arguments on our uh, constitutional challenge of the federal No More Pipelines Law Bill C 69. We are being supported in that by a number of other provinces, including Quebec. Um, we are, right now, of course, as you know, carbon tax reference at the Supreme Court, where we are supported by uh, Saskatchewan, Ontario, uh, and Quebec. Uh, and uh, I, I can see a <laughs> if they go in the direction they articulated in yesterday's throne speech, uh, that, that we will go to the wall to defend the Canadian Constitution, and this is and, and this is something I've tried to uh, articulate to people in central Canada, Al- Albertans were not the uh, caricature of a kind of inward looking provincialists, we are big Canadians. We believe in the promise of the economic union. Our province has done more than any other to advance the cause of free trade, of knocking down barriers to uh, trade and mobility within Canada. Uh, We are proud to have contributed over $600 billion net to the rest of the country when times were good here and bad elsewhere. Uh, We are proud to have helped to bring the country through the global financial crisis of a decade ago relatively unscathed. We are proud to have welcomed hundreds of thousands of Canadians who went from poverty in their home provinces to opportunity in Alberta. We are big Canadians, but that means a a federation where the, the federal government respects how the Constitution was originally designed. And, and yesterday was a complete inversion of the original vision of the federation with the federal government. I, I think, uh, compared to the administration of uh, Pierre Trudeau, for example, in the 1970s, that uh, I mean, in, in terms of, of respecting provincial jurisdiction, uh, the 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 first Trudeau government in the 1970s uh, was like a, a walk in the park compared to the uh, gross interference in the exclusive jurisdiction of provinces, and I know. By the way, Andrew, um, I know a lot of this just sounds like like political science gobbledygook and legal disputes, uh, federal-provincial wrangling. Is probably how a lot of people see it? <laughs> this, I, I'm going to go back to Michael's email that I started with. This affects real people's real lives, jobs. We've got three mines in Alberta right now, the future of which is potentially jeopardized because the government of Canada is using Bill C-69 to interfere in in our constitutional jurisdiction over environmental assessment of projects of that nature. And so the life of those communities is jeopardized. Thousands of workers and their families, their ability to put food on the table. So this is not just some academic dispute. Uh, This is about our ability to uh, ensure a a, a future for for families in in this province.
1: And I should say, it isn't just about the speech itself. I mean, mentioning or not mentioning something in a speech doesn't really matter. It's that this speech is meant to be the official template. It is, in fact, the official template for the Liberal government's priorities in the next weeks, months, or potentially even years. That's what it is. This is not just a speech that's delivered. It's actually tabled. And you see that that at the end of it, where the governor general hands over the speech she's been given to a House of Commons staffer, and that becomes a part of the parliamentary record. So these aren't just words on a page, even if that's, I guess, the sense of how it is or how it feels. These are actually words that carry a lot more weight and a lot more meaning. So it is paramount, then, that anything the government says aligns with its conduct moving forward and normally the throne speech has a bunch of things that you know you know are never going to happen i think the big fear for canadians is that these things do happen The big fear for Canadians is that this speech actually is the legitimate roadmap for Canada moving forward, which is why the Conservatives, I think, were so steadfast opposed to it. And I'm glad that Aaron O'Toole actually spoke. I feel like there was a missed opportunity from the Conservatives in not laying out expectations earlier on. Because remember, the Conservatives didn't actually say until very late into the day, relatively, that O'Toole would be speaking. And maybe it was illness, I don't know. He seemed to be in good health. Here's a, a of O'Toole's response to Justin Trudeau's primetime address.
4: After four years of Mr. Trudeau, our country is more divided, less prosperous, and less respected on the world stage. Across this country, millions of Canadians have lost their jobs. Many fear losing their homes, and too many have lost hope. Mr. Trudeau says we're all in this together, but Canada has never been more divided. Today, Mr. Trudeau told millions of Canadians that building back better doesn't include their family. I believe we need to build back stronger as a country. We must be more resilient and self-reliant for the future. The pandemic showed we can only count on ourselves in a crisis. We need to be more nimble and community-focused. We need to be working together to support one another and protect the vulnerable.
1: Now, he was, of course, criticized by all the liberal partisans on Twitter for being, you know, too partisan and all that and too political. But (laughs) I guess the best defense is that, you know, he assumed that Trudeau was going to be political, which I guess he kind of was. And also, he never promised he wouldn't be. I mean, he's speaking as the leader of the official opposition. His job is in that context, is to oppose Trudeau. But at least he didn't pretend that it was going to be this apolitical, nationally unifying message like Justin Trudeau did. So that was a a big one, I think, for him. And and that was really his coming out party to the country in many cases. For those who didn't see him when he took office after winning the leadership that night, this was his introduction to Canadians with more eyes on him than he's probably ever had in his political career. So uh, it's tough to say what the public perception of him is going to be. But I thought it was a very good opportunity for him, and and he did rise to the moment. Like I said, I wish that he had have said earlier on, committed, yes, I'm going to be speaking instead of leaving people in the lurch as to wondering. But I mean, like I said, there may have been medical reasons for that. And Aaron O'Toole and his wife now have uh, COVID-19. Their kids, it sounds like, have still tested negative, although all of them eventually got their test. They had to like, you know, drive around Ottawa for a bit, but they eventually got their test. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's good timing. I-, I hear all the conspiracy theorists or see them on Twitter saying, oh, you know, it's uh, funny that Aaron O'Toole and Yves-Francois Blanchet have COVID the of. Week- the throne speech, I don't know what that conspiracy is actually about, because certainly it doesn't help Aaron O'Toole to be sidelined at a pretty good moment for him same as Yves-Francois Blanchet so unless I don't know if the the conspiracy is that they're pretending to have COVID or that Justin Trudeau gave them COVID which I, I don't want to know how it happened in any case we've got to take a break when we come back my interview with actor Kevin Sorbo starring in Climate Hustle 2 premiering tonight that's all coming up next on the Andrew Lawton Show stay tuned
0: you're tuned in to the Andrew Lawton Show
1: Are they trying to control the climate or are they trying to control you? That's one of the questions put forth by Climate Hustle 2, a movie coming out on Thursday looking at the rise of the climate monarchy. The host of the film is Hercules himself, actor, director, and certainly Hollywood renegade Kevin Sorbo, who joins me on the line now. Kevin, good to talk to you. Thanks very much for coming on today.
5: Hollywood renegade, but not by choice. Yeah, it's good to be here. <laughs> Thanks for having me on.
1: So this must be for you. Like, if there was ever a chance of you getting back in the good graces of a lot of your former colleagues in Hollywood, that's gone with this movie, right?
5: Yeah, I, uh, I mean, th- these guys called me up. I, mean, I, I, I ended up being on camera with it and I narrate it. But I was, I was brought on after all of it was put together, and I certainly knew about Climate Hustle One. So they approached me. I said, I said, yeah, you just want to endear me more to Hollywood, don't you? <laughs> so. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy that I always look at both sides of the story and I don't understand why we're so one sided with the whole thing, with the climate change, global warming thing. Um, I learned a lot by watching this thing, you know, because I watched it before I narrated it. And, I, you know, it didn't shock me. I've heard enough uh, arguments from the other side as well. But, uh, you know, the mainstream media in America, you know, they, they plug just the one thing all the time and there's no room. They scream for tolerance, but they have none. It's a one way street, you know.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up, because one of the great things from a a narrative perspective, and if you're going to explore this subject in a film about the global warming divide, is that it isn't just a scientific discussion anymore. I'd say arguably we'd all be better off if it were, but now it's become something about financial corruption, about media bias, about Hollywood hypocrisy, about all of these other things, And, and I understand that all of those are to some extent explored in Climate Hustle too.
5: They are. They did a great job with it. You know, you get you get a lot of guys that are very knowledgeable, a lot more smarter than I am, and uh, scientists. Here's the thing. I've known this ever since I've been talking about. I mean, global warming. I've heard about this even in the 90s. They were saying by the year 2000, the coastlines of you know Florida and, and California would be gone. Um, well, here we are, 20 years later. It's you know it, it, it ain't going to happen. But. Um, I just, I, I look at this and, and I said, why don't we just take a look at the other side just for one time, guys? I mean, talk about the ice caps. The ice caps are doing great. The polar bears are doing fine. But it comes down to issue now where it's like the abortion issue. It doesn't really necessarily have to do with anything other than anger and hate now. And it's just so divisive. And I know you guys have seen America in our cities down here right now with these Antifa uh, thugs running around destroying public property, private property, hurting people, killing people. I mean, that's. It's just gotten absolutely crazy down here.
1: Yeah, it has. And, and, you know, this issue is one that, and I'm glad you mentioned earlier on about having a debate and hearing both sides, because this issue is one where people don't even want to engage in a dialogue about it. I, I know there have been a number of issues where films that have tackled the subject to some extent before can't even find a theater that will let them play, even with a private booking, yeah. because people are so terrified of having a debate. So how do you break through that? And how do you say, hey, listen, we're all about free speech here, we want to have the discussion. And then at, the end of it. Make up your mind at what you think.
5: Well, I think you just said it. I mean, why can't what you way you worded it was perfectly because that's what we need to do. But unless you do a movie that deals with the end of the world and how bad the uh, conservatives are and how bad anybody has an opposing view to climate change is, um, you got how do you get past that? I have no idea because um, climate hustle, the first one, has already been taken off Amazon. That would stay there for a long time, but now that's even been taken away. Uh, I get, I'm totally, um, shadow banned on Facebook and and Twitter. Uh, I'm not getting near the following I had before. mean it shows how many people I have, but it's not out there anymore because, and they've told me, they've banned me a number of times Hmm. when I post things like, Hey, what do you think about this article I found? And then it's just an article saying, well, the, here, here's some interesting stories to look at and interesting facts, so-called, from the other side. And uh, I get I get I get blocked. I mean, it's it's weird what's going on right now, but it's pretty blatant in the hypocrisy, as I uh, I'm trying to say, hypocrisy is pretty blatant. Oh,
1: yeah. We've seen this time and time again. Leo DiCaprio takes his private jet to a place yeah. to get off to give a speech about how we all need to do with less. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix, a few months ago, took, uh, you know, first class plane ticket to D.C., gets off and says, you know, we should all give up meat because of the climate. And I have to wonder, do these people like just not care about their hypocrisy or do they genuinely not realize it?
5: um i think they realize it but i also think they realize uh if they want to keep working in hollywood they better abide by the uh the the quid pro quo out there right now you you better say this or you're gonna hurt your career i certainly hurt my career 10 years ago I, i got tired of the hypocrisy and i started you know being more vocal about it my wife warned me and she was right i mean my agent of many years that made a lot of money off hercules and andromeda off of me and other things said goodbye can't book you anymore so if it wasn't for independent movies, I would never career anymore. But I just got tired of it. It's just like this is absolutely ridiculous that these people get away with what they get away with. But um, it's 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 just strange. I just right? there's, there's so like I said, there's so much hate, there's so much anger out there right now. Uh, how do you how do you how do you lighten that load? How do you make that mm-hmm. stuff go away? I have no idea. But I'm not going to stop. They're not going to silence me. I'm not. I don't think I'm being ridiculous. I think I post a lot of facts out there. But the facts and the truth are something that is kryptonite to these people.
1: When you mention that they all think this is their meal ticket to stay in Hollywood, are you saying that a lot of them you don't think are actually true believers or even concerned with the issue? They just realize this is where I have to be to continue to work in this industry now?
5: Yeah, I know some. I'm not going to name names because it's not my place to do it. But um, yeah, it's definitely that way. There's a lot of people uh, out there in Hollywood. that will vote for Trump, but they'll never say it. They'll, you know, they'll vote not even for Trump. They'll vote they'll vote for a Republican over what's mm-hmm. going on in the Democrats right now. You look at all the major cities in America right now with all these riots are going on, the BLM movement, all that. It's all Democrat-run cities. And it blows my mind that people keep voting these people back in when they're destroying people's lives and their businesses right now. But um, my brain just went fog for a second. I got to get Climate Hustle too. Dot .com that's where people get information climate 2com and I better say it or they will get mad at me for not letting people know. <laughs>
1: Don't worry we'll have the uh, we'll have a bar up on the screen as well so uh, we won't blame you if uh, I end up taking us off track there. <laughs> but let me actually ask you what drew you to the movie because I know you did mention that you like to hear all sides but is this an issue that you've been interested in for a while or was it one that really has come about more recently? I've been
5: interested forever I mean, because it's always out there. I'm a guy that watches the news. Look, I'll watch the BBC, I'll watch CNN, I'll watch Fox, and it's interesting in the same, uh, whatever they're talking about, if it's, a, if it's the same subject, how different they view the subject. So uh, it's worse than, you know, the three sides of every story, yours, mine, and the cold, hard truth. I, I think there's multiple things. It's like multiple news, like we have to have multiple genders now. So uh, it's, it's, uh, some, it's not near and dear to my heart, but I kind of laugh at what's going on. I remember when... That big, that Valdez, that big spill we had up in. Um, oh, yeah, the
1: Exxon, yeah. Yeah, the Exxon
5: thing. And, you know, one of the actors down on Johnny Carson's show goes, this is going to take 100 years before it gets back to normal. Well, it got back to normal a lot than it's ever been. I mean, Mother Nature is much more strong than the rest of the world. And I'm not against green. You know, you want electric cars? Yeah, why not? I'm not opposed to that because it's created a lot of jobs too, but it's created a lot of corruption on, on the other side. So, um, I just get tired of people using this as a weapon uh, to take away tax dollars that could be going to something that's far more important than worrying about one degree in the temperature over the last year, you know, 100 years.
1: Yeah, and that's where it gets back to the tagline of the movie, which is the control aspect, because there are a lot of things, and we see this especially in Canada, of course, where the oil sector is huge, where the free market is doing a lot of the things to greenify on their own. And then you get, on the other hand, people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and other politicians and some of your uh, former colleagues in Hollywood that are saying, you know what, we need to uh, control this, control that. The world's going to end in 12 years, 8 years, and I think eventually it's probably going to be before this interview ends that the world is going to end by one prediction or another, and and it is very much about control.
5: Oh, they keep pushing it. You know, everything, if it's not in 2000, it's another t- 10 years or 20 years from now. Control is, uh, what's going on right now with COVID, right? Fear is an amazing weapon, and they're using fear, and people get, you know, uh, FDR, one of our presidents way back in the day of an impression, what do you say? The only thing to fear is fear itself. Well, a lot of people are fearing it right now. You know, I'm not a firm believer uh, in the whole mask thing. I, I think that there is, that we have a virus that's out there. I've got doctor friends. I'm not going to name who they are, what, where they're from, but the big hospitals, and they're saying the masks don't stop this virus. They don't stop it at all. It's 75% smaller than the flu virus. It goes right through any mask. But we're making people do this and people get angry if you don't have a mask on and people are wearing masks because they're told they have to wear them. They're getting angry. So this kind of just builds on it. And the same thing has happened in the climate uh, argument. It just builds on it and builds on. It becomes more than what the real issue is. I mean, Al Gore is a billionaire now. OK, he became a very wealthy guy off this. So, uh, you know, if I was a smart guy, I would have followed his uh, road and invested in this in the companies that he he got off the ground.
1: Yeah, well, maybe, you know, Climate Hustle 2 can be the anti-Inconvenient Truth as well and (laughs) and do uh, something as significant as what that film did on the other side. Because, you know, my big frustration, and in retrospect, I think I can be very grateful that at least an Inconvenient Truth was very open about its agenda. The problem now is that this narrative gets slipped into pretty much anything. I, I was watching, I can't remember what movie it was. It was some animated movie like Ice Age or Happy Feet. And at the end, they pivoted to like this, you know, global UN commitment to, Know, saving the environment or something like that when you think you've just had a, a nice little movie. And, and that, I think, is probably the worst part of this is that there's really no safe haven from being uh, subjected to this narrative.
5: Well, they're putting it in every movie. It's mm-hmm. always there somewhere. It always slips in. If it's not a direct movie about the end of the world, there's always issues that they talk about. I mean, they do it. At the BBC does it with the uh, Richard Attenborough thing, you know, about the blue ocean and all these different things. They always throw it in. And it gets all dramatic, you know. But yeah, you can't happened.
1: just enjoy the cute turtle and the nice no. little fish anymore.
5: It's got it. Everything's got to be political now. It's like it's like the Emmys and the Golden Globes and the Oscars. Every actor gets up there now and gets political. Um, I still think Joe Pesci did the best job when he won a uh, supporting actor for Raging Bully. He went up and said, thank you. And he walked off stage. You know, I love it. <laughs> Just be grateful you have a job. It's a very competitive business. You're entrepreneurs and you are capitalists. capitalist. You can scream socialism all you want in, in Hollywood. But, you know, a lot of those A-list actors, they're rich enough to be socialist. They don't live socialist lifestyles. But Universal, uh, Disney, they're all capitalist business. They want to make money. But this it's, it's this whole disguising, you know, look up. We care so much more than the rest of you. Look at how much we care about Mother Earth. We all care about the Earth. Give me a break. I mean, America does the, the worst two worst countries in the world that I've, I've read about that, uh, with all the stuff they're spewing in the atmosphere is China and India. America is one of the lowest ones on there, and we throw the most money at this thing. And we have too many more problems with other things that needed to be you know, brought attention to.
1: Oh, yeah. And that's even more exaggerated in Canada, which is just a, you know, a teeny tiny speck in the world compared to a lot of other nations. Yet our politicians say that we need to get taxed up the yin yang to uh, do all of these other things. And and the math doesn't add up there. Uh, Just let me ask you in in closing here, Kevin, because you talked about the Hollywood narrative there. We had a couple of weeks ago, the Oscars come out and say all of a sudden for best picture, a film to be nominated has to check off all these diversity and inclusion boxes. Uh, Do you think this is the death of art or has that happened long ago by this point?
5: What's well, gotten worse and worse as it goes along? Look, I don't care who's in what movie. I don't care what race you are what. If it's a good movie, it should be recognized. But to sit there now and say, well, you have to have this and to fill a diversity quota, then my, my argument for that is, okay, then in the NBA and the NFL, we need more diversity. I want to see more people from Guam, from Israel. From you know, from I don't know, maybe Japan. More people like that than the NFL. And the people would get on my case? No, you want the best people. Well, thank you very much. I want the, it's, it, I want the best movie voted on by people saying because it's the best movie. If it happens to be for whatever reasons they're trying to change the uh, Academy Awards to now, so be it. But don't don't force this way for people to vote on, on this for just because of that. So you know, they just keep it's just it's just insanity bill right now.
1: Yeah, very much agree. I, I don't know if Climate Hustle 2 will be able to meet all the diversity criteria to get nominated for Best Picture, but certainly deserving of it because it's speaking truth on an issue that uh, it is so difficult to find anyone willing to do it. So thanks very much for your bravery in, in taking part in this and also for coming on today. I greatly appreciate it.
5: You know, it's funny. I don't know if you know Babylon B. These guys do very funny little satire bits on the news. And it's, it's fake news, but they make fun of the real news. And because of what they're doing in the Academy Awards, they put one out on me because I do so many faith-based movies like God's Not Dead and What If and Light there Be Light. So I said every faith-based movie now must be up for Academy Awards, and it has a star Kevin Sorbo in it. So I thought it was pretty funny that they did that.
1: Yeah, that would actually not be a bad idea, so I, I'm glad. I'll have to uh, take a look at that. <laughs> Thanks very much for coming on. Kevin Sorbo, really great to talk to you.
5: Thanks a lot. Appreciate it.
1: If you enjoy the show and want to hear more of it, we need your support. Head on over to andrewlawtonshow.com and click donate to support the work that we're doing and stand up for independent media.
0: Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.